Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it. We talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, all, and welcome. This week, let's talk about prison reform with Emily O'Brien. With an incredible story of entrepreneurship and redemption, Emily knows quite a bit about second chances. As the founder of Comeback Snacks, Emily continuously challenges the status quo, from her innovative flavors to her inclusive hiring practices and everything in between. You may have heard Emily's story before. If you're in the greater Toronto area, you probably heard it on the news. After being sentenced to a four-year jail term rooted in her battle with addiction, Emily has set out to redeem herself and do the same for those she met while serving her time. She vowed to get clean, transform herself, and make her time inside as meaningful as possible. This is where she created Comeback Snacks, a popcorn brand that uses high-quality, health-conscious ingredients to create unique flavors inspired by those she curated in prison. Not only is she driven by her entrepreneurial calling, she is also an outspoken advocate for the correctional system, proving that positive change can happen with passion, drive, and a positive mindset. She is driven to help remove the stigma associated with convictions and give former convicts like herself opportunities for reintegration through training, education, and empowerment. Emily, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all, all month, so oh, this is awesome. awesome. Well, me, honestly, me too, because it's, some, it's a topic that I don't know much about. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say that off the top, but a topic that I find really interesting because the little I do know, I feel like there must be so much room for reform in the system. And so maybe we start, I know I gave a little blurb of of your story, but I don't even think that scratches the surface. Can you kind of take us through what happened? Um, and in that piece for those of us that maybe didn't didn't hear it on the news. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So I grew up like a very normal child. I had a very normal childhood. You know, I had two great parents, um, went to Catholic school, you know, graduated with honors and then went off to university. I I kind of had like dabbled with, with substances in high school, but nothing really too out of the norm. I would say like, it got me into a little bit of trouble, but I still graduated with good grades. And when it was time to pull my socks up, I did, I was always volunteering. And so I've, I've always had a very supportive family in terms of that. And then once I graduated university, I graduated with a degree in international development and I was doing a lot of traveling abroad. And then when I came back, 
I was like, mm, I don't really know what I want to do. So I actually started my own business. Like I worked a couple corporate jobs, marketing jobs, kind of harnessed a lot of my skills and realized that I was good at talking to people and just sort of making things happen. And so I started a social media business. And as this was happening, my family split apart. And this was pretty challenging. You know what I mean? It's like, I know divorce is nothing new. Um, and we all go through really challenging times. But whenever you see people that you love in pain and, and hurting, it, it hurts. And because I'd kind of been around alcohol and then at this point living in Toronto, there was some drug use involved. I just went to that. And which like a lot of us, a lot of us do. And yeah. throughout this time, I met someone who I thought wanted to get me on a better path. And we became quite close. We did some business together. Red flags started happening. You know, his checks started bouncing, but I still believe that, believe that there's like a good person in him somewhere, which we also tend to do. Like, yeah, we love to ignore <laughs> red flags. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm on a trip with him. Uh, cause he wanted to take me on a trip. And then three days into the trip, he's like, well, we're actually here to bring drugs back. Did you really think this is just fun and games? And I was like, well, um, yes. I yeah. It was yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Gosh. And, and at that so, point you know, you're already there. Like, yeah. I'm already there. I'm in another country where I don't know anyone. Yeah. I can only really trust him. And I'm also not a gangster and I'm not about to play hardball. Right. So and how I just old wanted... were you at this point? I was 26 years old. Okay. So young. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really young. And yeah, but also going on trips with my, with partners wasn't unusual, you know, right. it's like, Oh, why'd you go on a trip with this guy that has red flags? It's like, well, I don't know. We've all been mad at people or if like a hundred percent. I hate <laughs> when people say things them. like that. Yeah. I, I hate when people say things like that because we've all done, we've all done the thing that maybe we know we shouldn't have done in hindsight. Right. But anyway, keep, keep going on. <laughs> yeah. And so I also like, I just wanted to go home and I thought about my family and I thought about if I didn't do it and he was pretty, he wasn't violent or anything like that, but he was just like, you know what? I already told these people I'm, I'm in a bind and I'm, I'm in debt. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, um, okay, I just want to go home. And so I just got drunk the rest of the trip. And I also told him that I was going to be very bad at this mm -hmm. because I'd never done that before right. in my life. Right. Despite my other risk-taking behaviors, I'd never gone that far. Right. And I'd never needed to. I never needed to profit off the drug trade. I, I had a business and I and I did well, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to go home. Well, and I think that that's important. I'm just going to pause you right there because sure. I think so often when we think of those people that get, get maybe someone that gets into trouble, you think of... Mm -hmm oh, well, what was that one variable that they had that I didn't have? So I think it's important to say like you led a normal life in terms mm -hmm. of like you had your own business. You were even in the corporate world for a period of time. Your drug yeah. use had, you know, more to do with like, I think in the past you were in getting deals done and negotiating and like yeah. more of that culture, right? Yeah. Than necessarily being a druggie on the street. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's how we mentally, we just go to like this one stereotype of who we think is in the prison system. And it's not you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also yeah. a misconception, I would say, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like until something bad happens to someone else, then it's like, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. But we right. all engage in these kind of risk taking behaviors or if we're just struggling with something. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't mean that we have this criminal intent to profit off being a drug dealer. It just right. They're right. so different. Right. 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 And then, so you, you're on this trip and you have to yeah. come home. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And so he tells me finally, because I'm freaking out, like towards the end of the trip, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, can I please just give these drugs to you when we land so that I don't have to go through customs with it? Because fat chance, am I going to be able to try to pull this? Like I, I couldn't, I took acting class and I failed. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) you're like, I'm not your girl. I don't know if you know, but I'm not your girl. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just so desperate that he, he like, he didn't care, but he's like, okay, I'll take them. I'll take them off. You get, put them in the backpack when we get to Pearson. And then that way you don't have to go through customs. And I was like, okay, okay. So I could finally breathe a little bit. I still knew it was very, very messed up. And I, never wanted to talk to him again, but at least I could be on home turf and kind of wiggle my way out of it that way. Right. And just pretend like it made me never happen. Right. Right. Yeah. So we land and I'm about to go to the bathroom and put these two kilograms of cocaine, mind you, like that are strapped to my body in the form of like a spandex underwear. Okay. I'm about to to go to the bathroom. And then he looks, he turns around and he's like, oh, it's too late now. So he bait and switched me like twice. Oh my gosh. Wow. And... So now I'm trying to hide my very adverse reaction to this bait and switch in the middle of the airport. Right. And there's, there's people watching you from cameras all over. And just because you don't see a guard looking at you doesn't mean that you're not being watched. And so obviously my body language was just through the roof and we get our bags and we get, we go through the first customs and then they give us a little piece of paper that has like that scribble a number on it basically. And you don't know what it means. And I've never been called into secondary in my life. Like I had actually, once I went to South America and I had to fly through Miami and they pulled me into secondary and I was so confused because I didn't know what the drug trade was. And I was like, okay, but I never done, I didn't do anything there. So I didn't care. Then this time at Pearson, I knew getting called into secondary was for a reason. Like I knew that this was just not going to go over well, but I still wanted to not sabotage the operation or what was left of it because that was also dangerous. And I didn't want to be blamed for that. So I just tried my best to kind of act normal, which I wasn't. And when we got questioned, they told me that I was going to be searched. And if I had drugs on me and I stared at the floor for 10 seconds, but it seemed like an hour and they actually had to ask me again. And then I said, yes, because I knew that at this point lying to a federal agent was just going to dig me even deeper. Right. Like you, yeah, I guess you recognize at that point that it's, it's not going to be a better scenario to, to lie through that. Wow. That is, um, and honestly, I think, I think of myself at not even just at that age, but at any time when you're, you're kind of just caught in this situation, right. Where it just perpetuates Mm -hmm. and it goes. And then, so what happened after that? So you, did you go immediately into taking into custody or what, what kind of followed that? Yep. So I was former, formally arrested by the RCMP and I was like, okay, cool. Like, when do I get to go home? And they're like, Oh, well, Miss O'Brien, like you're not going home. This is like very, I thought I could just explain like what happened. Like I was so ignorant to how serious it was. And so again, people after I tell the story, they're like, oh, how could you not know? I was like, I'm sorry. I don't research the criminal code. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So the only thing I do is watch a lot of Dateline. So the only thing I would think that maybe I would do was try to like negotiate that I can help them get the bigger scheme going on. That would be the only thing that I could think of to do. But yeah, I would otherwise be I was like, okay, maybe yeah, I'll get to go home and I'll just deal with this tomorrow. Like, yeah, right. No, they're like, you, this is such a serious offense that you're 
whoever like you are arrested and you have to now have a surety come get you out of prison or out of jail. And then, so my parents were away, they had to come back from vacation and basically bail me out of jail. And then I had to go live with my mom um, until the court case was resolved. And this ended up being a two and a half year period. So wow. I had to that move out of itself my is crazy. I want to, we'll talk about that a little later, but the waiting period in between must be mm-hmm. anyway, keep going with your story, but I'd love to hear more about that period in between too. Yeah. So it was two and a half years. I had to move out of my condo in Toronto. I'm still running a business. And so meanwhile, I'm so paranoid. I'm like, what's going on? Like, are people coming after me? Cause at the end of the day, I lost someone else's narcotics, but I wasn't going to like say, right, I didn't I, even I, think of that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. able to like say like what happened down there. I didn't want to like, I just kept quiet and I wasn't supposed to talk about the court case. So I couldn't exactly tell like my staff what was going on. So it was just like living in, in limbo, limbo. but it was like torturous limbo because I was just really confused. And I felt so misunderstood because I, a lot of people like my, it was very tense in my family because they were stressed out. It's not because they didn't love me. They, they loved me a lot, but they also, you know, they knew that I'd been kind of walking on the edge of a cliff with my substance use and mm-hmm. they didn't expect something like this to happen. But when it did, it was just very, very hard on everyone. Cause they were f- financially on the line. Like my bail was set at $50,000. Wow. And okay. yeah. And although this is a very tense period, like th- that was really loving of them to do that. Like, cause th- mm-hmm. that's what I realized I was, I was lucky in the sense that a, a lot of people don't have that. Even if they, they had loving parents, some, a lot of people's parents don't have those kinds of money to give up or or assets. Sorry. And then, so that was really, really hard. That was the most challenging time for me. And then once I realized that take, is the system just so backed up? Is that why it takes so long? Because gosh, like, I mean, not only do you have this massive thing happen, but now you have this waiting period where you can do nothing. And it sounds like Mm. you are, uh, maybe a bit type A, if you had your own business and you're trying to like, I couldn't imagine how yeah. debilitating that would feel in and of itself, like yeah. the waiting game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, I remember I had to go to one, uh, one appointment like with a client that I had and it was actually to do social media for an event for police officers. And you can, as you can imagine, oh my gosh. <laughs> I am lost. <laughs> lost it. I was like, because ah, I didn't know if, if like, like my picture was on a wall somewhere. If like everyone knew my face, like I just, right. I had no idea. And right. so, so I think like to answer your question, um, the courts are definitely backed up. Be the lawyers like to make their money. So they will keep okay. delaying the court case and see, I also had to prove like, even though my lawyers knew that I was like a good person, I still had to go through like um, rehab programs and just kind of build my case. So that okay. I didn't really have a problem with. Okay. Um, so I think just a combination of those three things. So you're, you're in this waiting period of, of two years. Mm-hmm. This happens for a variety of reasons. Like you said, what happens once you get so your court date set and walk us through mm-hmm. what that kind of looks like. Like, did you, were you potentially facing more jail time or what did that look like for you? Um, so what my lawyers and the prosecutor decided upon was something called the joint submission because the evidence was so strong and I pretty much admitted that I had it at the border okay. and I also wanted it to end. Like I didn't want to be like, I knew that sure. I didn't organize this whole scheme, but I also knew that I just wanted to plead guilty because I couldn't take it any longer. Right. And I also knew that if it, if I just got not guilty and just got to live my life, like I didn't think I would actually learn a lesson. So when I was told that I was ha- going to have to 
do prison time, I began to reframe it. And I was like, listen, if I can go to any other country in the world and, and see if it as like an adventure and a learning experience, I can just see this prison experience as a time to go and learn. And because it's like, it has its own borders, its own culture, its own language, its own currency. And hmm. if I wasn't afraid to go to, I would have never country, thought of it that way, but that's such an interesting way to describe it. Cause you're, I, that sounds quite correct actually. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I've traveled to places all over the world where people tell me not to go and I go. So it's like, why, why would I be like afraid of, afraid of this? And if anything, like I, I kind of do need to get out of the scene. I do need to go away for a bit. I can put my, at first I saw it as a big inconvenience as like, I had this growing business and blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, you know what? it can wait because mm-hmm. this is clearly something so monumental. And if there's anyone that can take this experience and make something even better out of it, it's going to be me. Mm-hmm. And so like I, when someone, when I get challenged to do something, I can either be challenged and react in a negative way. And this one, I wanted to react in a positive way because I knew that I could. And I, I knew that I could like kind of redeem myself in, in terms of the relationships that I damaged with my family and also get like the substances out of my life. Like they, they were just kind of clouding everything. And I had to admit it. I was like, I couldn't go a week without having a drink or whatever. So that, that was the time to kind of harness everything and and put it into a package that was going to be so much better after our I got out and there's still still a lot of unknowns, but those were to come. What like a mindset shift? Like, how did you, how did you, just the way you talked about that, it seemed like, like most people wouldn't think of it that way. So are you just, do you naturally look at the, I I don't want to say best in that situation, but like, do you look for the kind of learning in each situation naturally, or were you having to actively change your mindset around this? Um, it was definitely learning. And it was also like a combination of my feistiness and my fierceness. Cause I was like, I'm not going to let anyone else tell me how the rest of my life is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not going to let someone try to capitalize on me and basically essentially traffic me and get away with it. Right. Yeah. So yeah. sure. They got away with it when I was down there, but not for this part, not for mm-hmm. this. And I'm going to build something that's so unique that just can't be taken from me, even though my time was taken. And even though, yes, I did something wrong. Like I can take all of that and just build something better. Yeah. And remodel it. I mean, you did. So what what happened next then after that? So after I was sentenced um, to four years in prison, and this of course sounded so daunting at the beginning, but as I learned how the system worked, I knew that I would get out on day parole after a sixth of that and full parole after a third. So a year in prison really wasn't that bad. Like people go away on sabbaticals all the time. So I was like, okay, I can And you're be probably away like from... 28 now, 28, 29. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I spent my 30th birthday in prison. Oh my gosh. Well, that's something not like people 30s. do. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like I was 20 all over again. I felt so much younger because by the time I was in there, I was like exercising all the time. And I still exercise when I was out, but I just kind of had a complete mind shift and, you know, just been away from like the, and I'd also like been able to not like siphon out friends, but like people, it was very easy to tell who my actual friends were like write me letters or come visit me. And yeah, so that actually did me a favor instead of just having these friends that you kind of enable each other to just get drunk together. That's really friends. Yeah. And so your time there, then what did, what did like a day look like? How did you fill your time? And what are the things that you saw in that time as well? 
Yeah. So the first day was very, very prison. Like it was like, you were in shackles, like hands and feet. Um, you are put in the back of a paddy wagon and you're shipped off to the main prison camp with a bunch of other people that have done a variety of different things. So I lived in a house with people that had committed murder, um, different kinds of drug trafficking, sex charges, everything like that. So you're kind of just all in there together. And yes, there is like, um, a prison like hierarchy in terms of like the crimes that you, you can commit. So luckily drug smuggling drugs was something that wasn't something that was like, um, hated by other. Right. Okay. Versus like murder or molestation of a child or something. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Or like an attack on a a vulnerable population, something like that. So there's like a lot. And I, what I learned was that there are so many girls in prison for the exact same thing that I did really that I'd come from very like pretty typical backgrounds right and just had ended up with these very hefty hefty prison sentences because of some guy (laughs) and the system doesn't really care they don't even acknowledge that and so i also learned that prison's really expensive and it costs two hundred thirty thousand dollars taxpayers two hundred thirty thousand dollars a year to keep someone inside prison oh my gosh yeah that is an alarming stat wow yeah. Wow. And they put people in prison without even ad- addressing like the other issues that what may have caused the crime, like mm-hmm. me- mental illness or addiction or trauma. That's what right? I'd love to. I'd love to talk about that because that mm-hmm. to me seems like the, like something's got to change in the system, right? Because mm-hmm. if you think of, you know, and I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to take away for the fact that like, obviously, yes, you did something wrong, but at the same time, like, why is there no opportunity for reform? Like why, like, how does that, how does that, like you essentially had to create your own reform. Cause even now mm-hmm. you would pro- have something on your record, right. If you were like applying for a job, but mm-hmm. how, like, is there, and maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about the work that you are doing in that reform space, because it always struck me as like, gosh, you make one mistake and you suffer mm-hmm. for it forever. And mm-hmm. and I find that a really hard pill to swallow because I think that can literally be the majority of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, for sure. Or you're just in a situation in another country and like sometimes you have to make the best decision. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's the right one, but it's, right. it's the best one that will guarantee at least, at least your safety. And this is actually a huge problem, especially with um, drug trafficking is like how much it crosses with human trafficking. Okay. And you know, it's all the, it's all these men that are organizing these, these schemes. It's like a pyramid scheme. And it's just the girls that are going, getting thrown in. And often girls are set up to carry drugs and the guys will call say like the airport on them because there was someone else actually on that same flight with even more narcotics. So they use girls as decoys and they don't even know it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sorry. You, you can't see my face, but my eyes just like, Oh, I can. I, can <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the listeners can't see my face, but I'm like, Oh, oh my gosh, that is so, okay. So that's like an issue specific to like the drug trade, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then though, when you're in the prison system, are they offering, what types of things are they offering to, to help, whether it was with your addiction or your mental health or, or, or nothing, are they offering nothing? I'm imagining. 
A lot of the, like for the most part, no, they put everyone in, in a black box and make you go through these programs. But if anything, it's the prison that comes first and then like addiction stuff that'll come after, but that stuff doesn't work if you don't address the, the root of the problem first. Right. And especially um, a lot of crimes are committed for financial reasons. Um, so, you know, and then you're putting someone in prison where they can't work and now they have a record and now they can't get an apartment. It's like, they just, they're just recreating the cycle, but they're amplifying how awful it is for someone to try to get back into society. Mm-hmm. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And you even talked about like you at the beginning of this had, you know, the family support of posting bail. There's a lot of people that wouldn't even have that, right? And so then there's, I mean, a whole kind of, a whole kind of situation with that as well. Like, I just, I, is there, what it talk a little bit about, cause I know you're doing a lot of work now from a, mm-hmm. at a higher level um, with government yeah. and MPs and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and, sure. and what, if any progress is being made there? For sure. So I'm working currently with a liberal MP, Pam Demoff, and we, they just actually, um, 
put together a bill for reducing mandatory minimums. So my case, because it was importing drugs into a country, has a mandatory minimum. And that's just something that Stephen Harper put in place. But those are actually so detrimental and they disproportionately um, affect marginalized populations and the indigenous. So like there's like there's about 30 percent of indigenous people in, in prisons already. And so there's just a huge discrepancy. So it's like people that have the resources to hide the bad decisions and the people that don't. So it's like a system because it keeps things in place. It's like, it's more like a criminal reinforcement system as to a criminal justice reform system. Um, So there's that one. And then there's also the problem with pardons. Um, For example, if you commit a crime, you have to wait maybe five to 10 years to even get a pardon to get your record cleared. But it's like, if you've already finish your sentence. Why do you have to apply? And the pardons are a thousand dollars to even just apply. So why is there that financial penalty to someone that just wants to get a job and live a normal life? So those are the two, two big ones that, um, that we're working working on. on. That's amazing. I mean, amazing work that you're, you know, we haven't even touched on your business yet and we'll, we're going (laughs) to get there, but amazing work that you're doing and really taking, the situation that you were in and not only yeah. making it better for yourself and not only making it better for those that are maybe close in, in your proximity, but yeah. changing the structure of this, right. Which I think yeah. is so beyond impressive and I'm sure yeah. tireless work. Yeah. I, you can only imagine. Well, I, I don't get tired. So it literally is like, I'm tireless, tired, <laughs> tiredless. <laughs> no, that's, that's super, super, um, impressive. Definitely. Can you tell us, so now we'll, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit and that, yeah. can you tell us comeback snacks? How, you know, how did that kind of come about? You obviously had this entrepreneurial spirit. You're in prison. Take us through what mm-hmm. happens next there. So I knew that when I went to prison, I was going to do something and I was going to create something. People were like, oh, write a book. And I didn't feel that important. I hadn't done anything just to write a book. And so you do need to write a book, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like it's already, okay. it's already written. It's, um, it's, it's like, okay. a, it's like a self-improvement book. It's oh, cool. To come back. So, oh, okay. I don't even, I don't know that I've seen it. What was it called again? Sorry. Oh, it's not out yet. That's oh, it's not out. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called though? From convict to come back. And when does it come out? Do you have a date um, once like the, like the rules, like, cause I want to do like a lot, like micro, like book tours and stuff. So okay. once, um, we can open again and got it. Once we can open, then I want to like, I want to go across Canada and yes. I'm still on parole too. So like it's okay. pretty hard that way. And to 2022, the, right. So you have a, a little bit of time. Actually, your timing will probably work out really nicely. I know. Yeah. <laughs> great. Um, um, no, tell us, tell us about the story then there, and then we can read it in the book when it comes out in next year. <laughs> So one of the most annoying things that I hated people telling me was that, oh, like, you're never going to be able to get a job again. You're never going to be just like, you're, or aren't you going to have to do this? Aren't you going to do that? And I was like, no, you know, you might think that, but I'm going to prove you otherwise. And when I got to prison, I also noticed how like me and my comrades, we were, we would have like a lot of anxiety about that. We'd be like, well, you know, where do you think you're going to get a job? And there was just like, there was not a lot of hope in terms of that. And people also didn't realize that they had skills and they had talents because they'd been broken down and beaten for so long. Um, so many of the girls I met in there had suffered horrendous, horrendous violence and, and abuse, like just unfathomable actions done to them, including sexual abuse. And I, I just wanted to help. I wanted to do something because I knew that like I was going to share my story and that I, I wasn't afraid of like the reaction or like potential negative perception. I just, I just didn't care. And I also grew up helping others. And I knew that 
incorporating like that element and just not, not just being a good Samaritan, but actually like constructively helping others to help build up society or, or, and community was something that really brought true joy and happiness into yourself and everyone else's lives. And so I wanted to do something like that. And I, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I also noticed that food was something that brought people together in prison. And I didn't mention this before, but something that led to my alcohol and, and drug addiction was actually like a former um, eating disorder. And so I would, you know, just drink vodka and do lines of cocaine and to avoid eating. And so as I got to prison, I really didn't want this to resurface again because I knew I was in a very condensed environment. There's a lot of stress, anxiety. Um, so I wanted to create like a healthy kind of snack for myself and people were making popcorn and putting different spices on it. And then we, I put like lemon pepper and dill on, on the popcorn and it was so good. And people brought other things to the table, like people would make brownies. And I just loved how, pe- how food brought people together and it made people laugh and we would tell jokes and have little gatherings. And, and so I wanted to put two and two together and just combine food with, you know, a purpose. And that purpose was to redefine and reshape the lives of people, including my own coming out of prison by breaking stigma, you know, mm-hmm. break laws or break stigma, not laws. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. You have great sayings. You could tell you were in like brand, like social media kind of world world before. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. I was just surrounded with so much like negative jargon, like legal jargon, like criminal, like, you know, record, um, offense, like all those things. So I was like, the best way to take power away from that is to use it against itself. And so when I was in prison and I decided I wanted to have a popcorn company because I was popcorn was a relatively simple ingredient. It's not like I was trying to develop an app or something inside yeah, prison. Yeah. Yeah. We, I use like all the, the branding is like terms that have been used against us. And so it's now a term of empowerment. So like our slogan is popcorn. So good. It's criminal. And the main part of the popcorn business is not just to have popcorn, but also to help create employment and to prove that people coming from incarceration were worthy of employment and could actually make a really, really amazing workforce. Mm -hmm. And I love what I've heard you speak about too, is that, and I thought was very, must be very empowering for those around you is it's not just about you getting out your story, but it's about, you know, other members of your team telling their stories as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And is that through rebel roster? Can you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Rebel Roster. Once we're allowed to have um, speaking engagements again, we're I'm like encouraging them to share their stories, only if they want to. Because but once they start talking about it, you notice how comfortable it makes them feel. And like mm-hmm. so, that's why having like a staff where they can talk about their mistakes and like you'd be shocked at like how good they feel about being able to talk about what happened because so often they're just talked about one way in the media or on a piece of paper, and and that's not true. And so I was like, well, why don't you go, why don't you go share it? And so, yeah, that'll be something that'll be coming as soon as like speaking engagements are, are allowed. So instead of me going to a class, it's like, well, why don't you send so-and-so or send so-and-so and then they get to kind of get it out there because they all have different experiences. So there's different ways where you can break down even more myths. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's so. amazing. That sounds like it should be a, a documentary series in and of itself, like the sharing yes. of story or another book a second book, right? Everyone like kind of a compilation of stories there. So you are involved speaking of, of kind of broadcast TV, et cetera. You are actually Mm -hmm. involved in a 
new TV series that's filmed in your hometown, right? Of Dundas, Ontario. Yeah. The first yeah. season's already done. And I think they got, they just got renewed for a second season. Oh, amazing. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved there. So someone just reached out to me. They heard about the, the story and the, and the work that I was doing. And they really wanted to get um, not just me involved, but also some of the organizations that I work with involved. Called, one of them was called Elizabeth Fry and they help women coming out of prison with like, um, like job training or new clothes or care packages things like that. Um, and so they, they called me up and they're like, Oh, we're actually creating this. It's like, um, like a satirical prison show. So mm-hmm. they're like, we want to have your real and honest perspective instead of just like thinking of what it's, what it's like. And I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds awesome. And so I actually brought in a lot of my prison, prison props or not props, but like stuff that I got from prison. And they, they would ask me, you know, I, mean, I have to normal? stop you. What kind of stuff do you get from prison? Oh, I have like shoes. I have like a prison uniform. Oh, okay. I have like pictures that were on my wall. I have like a bunch of documents. I have so like you keep hilarious your, notices. You keep like your clothing that you were wearing in there? Yeah. Oh, so they have okay. like two kinds of... Um, so I was in federal prison. And so you actually get your own stuff shipped in. But then there's also something called institutionals. Okay. And that's just like a standard set of clothes that like they give you because a lot of people don't have clothes anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. And so I, there's this pair of prison shoes that I got snuck out and then I'll okay. What suit that I stuck. Oh, that's really cool. So they, so they're granny panties. Yeah. <laughs> Style Canada. Hey. <laughs> well, we'll do a whole article on those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting. So they kind of, you were able to bring some of those props and some of those real life elements into the production process then. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Sure. And where can we watch the series? I believe it's on Bell TV One right now, uh, but it's going to get streamed on like, I think on, M- not on TV. Um, MSN, MSN video. Okay. And then I'll, I'll circle back with you and I'll, okay. I'll keep you posted, but yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Well, I'd love I to hear, a- I know I have a whole other list of things that you're involved in here, but I'd love <laughs> for you to tell us a little bit about, I mean, we've already covered the book, rebel <laughs> roster, the business, the <laughs> yeah. docu-series, what do I mean? The work with the MPs, but you have a few other things too on the go. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know from the social media side, um, you have your own docu-series, the poll with city moguls, like tell us a little bit about why I guess it's important for you to maybe why it's important for you to get your story out like what what kind of I I would assume it feels like you are making an impact which I absolutely do think you are by by being Mm -hmm. so open and candid Um, Mm -hmm. but how do you how do you maybe decide what to get involved in and why is that important to you I decide what I'm going to get involved in is something that I can learn in something that definitely needs a, a real, uh, lived experience perspective. Um, and something that I'm just like drawn, drawn to, right? Like, obviously you can't get involved in everything, but if mm-hmm. I, if I hear something or if I see something, like I talk to so many different people every day and I try to like help as many people as I can, you can't help them in this, this you know, magnificent way, magnificent way every time, but you can do like little micro favors for people and just give them like little tidbits of advice here and there. And yeah. And then it just encourages, it just shows like if I can get involved in this and other people who are coming out of incarceration can too. And then if I know someone coming out of prison, I know where to direct them as well. So it just opens up way more opportunities for other people. Is there there something like the way you just said that opportunities for others, is there some sort of um, like program after you get out of prison that helps to reintegrate into Mm -hmm. society. Okay. And then is that, would that be put with like 
a peer mentor like yourself, because I'm just thinking when you're talking about people sharing stories and things like that and how you're kind of naturally doing that, is that a formalized program as well? Yes, there are. Okay. That's what we do at Comeback Snacks. We partner with like certain organizations and then okay. we'll run like big fundraisers and just put the money towards those programs because we can't run them ourselves. Right. Um, and what are some of those the- programs just if people want to check them out or, or get involved? Sure. One of them is called um, the Young Street Mission and they have a very specific program called HOPE, which is helping offenders on parole excel. Another one is uh, the Elizabeth Fry Society and another right, one is the Re- Renaissance House, which is like a sobriety house uh, in, in Toronto. Okay. And there's another really cool one that I really like um, that we haven't done anything specific uh, with them yet, but we're, we're talking and they're called Building Up TO. And they, um, they're a construction company that uh, is sponsored by Tridel and a couple banks. And they teach people um, that have, you know, maybe had trouble past how to do construction. And so there people learn how to do renovations and everything, which is like a really hot market right now. And it's a great skill to have. I mean, I'm doing runners on my office right now. It's like, that's really smart. Yeah. That's yeah. a really genius. Um, cause th- those kind of skills are always in, in need. Right. So, um, yeah. okay. That's very cool. So anything else that I missed that you have coming up that we should know about? Me think. Oh, I have a docu series with Bell coming out. Okay, it's called Casual Sleepers. Docu yeah. series. So you do have it. <laughs> I like the way yeah. you said that. You're like, I also have a full docu series. Tell us about that. Um, well, it's a three part uh, series, and it's like um, it's based out of Hamilton's, and it's with two other individuals who have like come through or gone through adversity and come out the other side. And so that'll be aired on Bell Bell TV one as well. So mm-hmm. it was filmed in March, I believe, and then so now it's just getting edited and everything like wow, that. So. Wow, you are like a one woman like force in this space. <laughs> you know what? I wish I could say I was a one woman force, but I like it's so not true because like so many people have been involved in, in building this 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 big impactful thing you know mm-hmm. it started with my family and then it then there's community members who donate their time and then there was companies that sponsored us to be at their events so like for me to say I did it alone it would be so selfish and ignorant because it's so not true there's hundreds, Always, hundreds of people yeah. that have even police officers, like I'm friends with police officers now and always a team behind that's yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one more question on that. Is there anything that you would change? Like, would you do it differently knowing all the good, I think that you've been able to create out of this, would you go back and do something different? I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do something different, but I wish that I didn't put my family through all that stress because you know, they, families are quasi victims of, of crime. And, you know, I, I hurt them pretty bad mm-hmm. and I, I worked my ass off to redeem myself and I definitely, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say, I worked no, my butt off swear. to redeem myself. <laughs> But I was like, I had, I had to pull up my socks. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just handed to me on a silver platter. Like I had work to do and I, I had to be consistent with that. Right. So, and I had to be honest with myself about what my struggles were and where I needed help. And that's a lot of things. Sometimes we don't like to ask for help, you know, especially as a woman, we're like, no, we can do it ourselves. (laughs) Or there's like some shame that comes around that. So I definitely had to, had to do that. And apologies are not easy. They're not given to us. They're not emojis. Uh, they, they're a, a process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it took a long time for my family to heal from that. So I wish I didn't put them through all that grief, but it just really demonstrated the unconditional love that they have for me. And that is something that is 
truly a gift and, and a blessing that I'm, I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. Well, what an amazing story, Emily. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If we want to yeah. follow along, where can we find more about you? Sure. So um, you can check me out on Instagram. My handle is ems at ems.obrien and then at comebacksnacks and then comebacksnacks.com. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, and we're going to continue this conversation um, online at Style Canada as well. I'm so excited to have more conversation there too. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 